Brother Monday for that. That was a blessing. Take your Bible and turn with me this morning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Would you? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 in the Word of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 in the Scripture. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, it's interesting to me that there are many times, there are many times in life when I need to decide what is an option and what is not an option. Uh, you have to do that when you uh, serve your kids uh, some food from Chick-fil-A or McDonald's. You know, what is an option, what is not an option. Sometimes they come super hungry and they want to order everything on the menu. And sometimes they come not hungry at all or they don't think they're hungry. And then once you get their food, yesterday we were at an In-N-Out. How many of you know what an In-N-Out is? Oh, wow. Are there, is there an In-N-Out around here? Oh, we need to get an In-N-Out. That's the problem with this world. There's no In-N-Out on the East Coast. Uh, we need some In-N-Outs on the East Coast. And my Audra, she, she said, I don't want anything. I don't want anything. And Amber said, well, maybe I'll get you some fries. She said, okay. And then once we got her some fries and she saw our burger, she said, I want that. <laughs> well, you got to explain clearly in life what is an option and what is not an option. Uh, sometimes you have to decide what's an option, what's not an option when it comes to the route you're taking. Uh, there's lots of traffic on this option, so that's not an option. Or, well, I don't know if you have any options around here then, you know. <laughs> You've got traffic everywhere. Uh, but you have to decide what's an option and what's not an option. I want to preach to you this morning from 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4 on when it comes to Christ's coming. When it comes to Christ's coming, what is not an option and what is an option? Let's pray. Father, speak to our hearts, I pray. Speak to us deeply. Help us, Lord, I pray, in the areas where we're struggling. Help us, Lord, where we're sorrowing. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would cast all our care upon you. And I pray that if there's anyone here in this place that does not know Christ, that has never known the full pardon of sin, that has never been born again, that today they would put their faith and their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and be born again. And Lord, we'll be careful to thank you for what you do because we ask this in Jesus' wonderful and blessed name. Amen. First Thessalonians chapter 4, I draw your attention to what the Bible says in First Thessalonians 4 and verse number 13. To these Thessalonican believers, Paul writes under inspiration, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these Words. Now, I want to speak to you for a few moments on the subject when it comes to the coming of Christ, when it comes to Christ's coming. I want you just to see what the Bible says in this passage of Scripture, what is not an option and what is an option. We need to know that. That'll help us clearly decide which way to go. That'll help us clearly decide 
what to consume or what not to consume, what to eat as far as true doctrine or what to eat, not eat as far as false doctrine. When it comes to the coming of Christ, I want you to notice, first and foremost, what is not an option? What is not an option? Well, number one, ignorance is not an option. God doesn't give us that liberty or, or that, that freedom. Ignorance concerning the coming of Christ is not an option. He says to them in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13, But I would not have you to be ignorant brethren. Now, God doesn't want ignorant brethren anyway, but He doesn't want these brethren to be ignorant. And He doesn't want these brethren to be ignorant concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, He says in this passage of Scripture, I would not have you to be ignorant. Ignorance concerning the coming of Christ is not an option. You need to know, if you've not trusted Christ as your Savior, that Jesus Christ is coming again. And you need to know that His coming is going to change the entire landscape of this world. Everybody's interested about what's going on in the Ukraine and Russia. And everybody's curious about what's going on in Israel. And people are wanting to know what's going on in Washington, D.C. And people want to figure out what's going on in Moscow. How about figuring out what the Bible says? How about figuring out what's going on in the Word of God? How about figuring out what God has to say about what's coming next? Uh, people want to know about people's opinions. This is a day of opinion. And this world thinks that truth is a mixture of opinion. Uh, that, that if you take uh, somebody's opinion and you put it here, oh, what do you think? Oh, I'll add that. Oh, what do you think? Oh, I'll add that. Oh, what do you think? I'll add that. And I'll mix it all together and voila, I'll come out with truth. That's not what truth is at all. In fact, there's this new dangerous idea promoted by Oprah first and, and probably front and center, but it's a, a concept that is constantly being bantied about by the media and by Hollywood and by, by, by people today. Well, that's not my truth. Let me give you my truth. There's no such thing as my truth. Uh, there might be my opinion, but I don't have a truth that is contrary to the truth and, and is right. Uh, you don't have a, a truth that is contrary to the truth and is right. To, to be perfectly honest, and to be very frank, your opinion and my opinion doesn't matter. What matters is the truth. What matters is the absolute truth. Uh, what if uh, a man who was teaching us uh, uh, about direction took out a compass and said, north is this way. And somebody raised their hand and said, well, well, my truth says that north is this way. Well, what a foolish thing that would be. What a joke that would be. How ignorant that would be. And ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. All of that is ignorance and it leads to darkness. The reason that we call the dark ages the dark ages is because people were kept in ignorance. Ignorance concerning the word of God. Ignorance concerning science. In ignorance concerning the facts uh, and the realities of life. And by the way, it was religion primarily that kept people in that darkness. What we're talking about here is not religion. We're talking about a personal relationship with a living God. And what God says concerning Christ's coming is that when it comes to Christ's coming, ignorance is not an option. You need to know that Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again, and he's coming again. He's coming again. Do you know that for every one prophecy concerning Christ's first coming, there are at least three and then some prophecies concerning Christ's second coming. 
And Jesus Christ is coming again. People want to know what everybody's opinion is. But how about knowing what God's opinion is? Ignorance is not an option. How about figuring out what's happening in heaven? How about figuring out what God is going to do next? What's Putin going to do next? What's uh, Biden going to do next? What's uh, this politician going to do next? I'm not sure that some of the politicians even know what they're going to do next. But we know that there is a God in heaven who knows what is going to happen next. And you need to know that when it comes to the coming of Jesus Christ, ignorance is not an option. You need to be studying passages like First and Second Thessalonians right now. You need to be reading passages like Joel right now. You need to be reading and exploring what Daniel 7 through 12 is talking about right now. You need to understand what Matthew 24 and 25 is talking about right now. You need to understand what the Bible means when it says in First Corinthians 15 and 51, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed you need to figure out what first corinthians 15 and verse 51 is talking about you need to read the book of revelation you said preacher it's hard for me to read the book of revelation because i don't understand it well wait time out you you don't understand it because you haven't read it (laughs) if i haven't read something i don't understand that either but you read it once and there'll be some things you understand don't worry about what you don't understand There'll be plenty about what you do understand. Start there. (laughs) Let's start there and say, okay, what do I need to know about the book of Revelation? Do you know Revelation is the only book that God promises a blessing to those that read it? Now, you'll get a blessing from reading any part of the Bible. But God specifically, within the context of Revelation, says if you read Revelation, you'll get a blessing. I knew a man years ago that would read Revelation every month, just like you would read Proverbs one chapter a day. What a great idea. What a fantastic thing to do. I guarantee you, if you read a book or a chapter in Revelation every, every day, uh, I guarantee you, you'll, you'll know more at the end of the month than you did at the beginning. And you do that for a whole year, I guarantee you, you'll know at the end of 12 months more than you did at the beginning. Ignorance is not an option. Uh, we have a responsibility right now to be learning what the Bible says about the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, when we speak about Christ's second coming, Remember that, that we usually refer to it sometimes generally, Christ's second coming. But it is broken up into two parts. There is the rapture, which happens next. And there is the revelation, which happens seven years after the rapture. That's very important to understand. And that's understanding what the Bible is teaching from Daniel chapter 9 all the way through. Uh, the rapture is when, when what is referenced here in 1 Thessalonians 4. And that's what he's trying to say. Ignorance is not an option. The revelation is seven years later. The rapture, Jesus appears in the clouds. And he appears in the air. And he catches all of his saints up. Dead and then alive. The revelation happens seven years later. And he comes back on a white horse. And all of his saints are coming with him. And they're watching. We'll be watching as he does battle royale with the Antichrist. Hey, you know, look, everybody's all fired up about this world. And Putin wants a piece of property south of him. And the world wants to expand. And China wants Taiwan. And they can have it. Now, I'm not for Putin expanding whatever he's his communist regime, and I'm not for uh, China expanding their godless communist regime. But this old world, they can have it, and, and they better enjoy it. Because when Jesus Christ comes and the rapture happens, they'll only have seven years to enjoy it. 
And it's going to be the worst seven years that this world has ever known. They can have this real estate. And by the way, they're only going to be vacating it. They're only going to be in it for about seven years. And then all of us Christians are going to come in and take over. So, so, and we're going to have it for a thousand years. So just kind of keep that in the back of your mind. What, what am I saying? I'm saying that when it comes to Christ's coming, ignorance is not an option. Uh, let me show, share what else. First Thessalonians 4. Notice verse number 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Now stop for a moment. Who are them which are asleep? Those that are saved and have already died. Those that are saved and have already died. These are not unsaved people. Unsaved people are never referred to in the New Testament or the Old Testament. Those that have died as asleep. Never. He always refers to those that are saved as asleep. You know why? Because if you're unsaved and you die, you're not at rest. You're not at rest before you, you die if you're unsaved, and you're not at rest after you die. Before you die, if you're unsaved, the Bible says, the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest. The troubled sea, waves tossing to and fro. Well, when a person dies who is unsaved, they go straight to hell. There's no rest there. And so he's speaking about those who have died trusting Christ as Savior. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, those that have died trusting Christ as Savior, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. All right, number one, ignorance is not an option. Number two, despair is not an option. Let me say that again. Despair is not an option. He says that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Now, let me just pause and say, he didn't put a period when he said that ye sorrow not. He didn't say we don't sorrow. We sorrow. When our loved ones die, there have been people that have died here that have died in the last two and a half years that we love, that we care about that we think, think the world of, that, that, have, that have poured into our lives and we have poured into theirs and we love them. How can you not sorrow when those dear ones die? Some of you have had loved ones that have died in your family that live in other parts, that lived in other parts of the world. And, and you say, uh, how can I not sorrow? You, you do sorrow. We, we shed tears. We cry. We weep. Sometimes it hits us in unexplainable ways, in unexplainable moments. We sorrow, but we do not sorrow as those who have no hope. You see, that's despair. And despair is not an option. When it comes to the coming of Christ, ignorance is not an option. Number two, despair is not an option. Maybe you've been to a funeral of someone who is lost. It is absolute hopelessness. I remember the first funeral that I went to of someone that was lost. I've thankfully grown up in a Christian home. My mom and dad know Christ as Savior. They're both 88 years old. And I'm thankful that, that both my mom's parents and my dad's parents knew Christ as Savior. And I went to their funerals. And, and, and I had uncles and aunts that died trusting Christ as Savior. I can tell you their funerals Though that we sorrow, though we weep, though we shed tears, I can tell you that there's a, 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 a great strength that comes from the hope that we'll see Jesus again and we'll see them again. But there's not that hope there 
with someone who has died not knowing Christ. And I remember the first funeral I went to, I think I was probably 14 or so. And uh, the person, the person was in, in a Catholic church and, and there was no hope offered. There was no promise offered. There was no gospel preached. There was no assurance given from the word of God. That's despair. Sorrowing as those that have no hope. Uh, I was uh, reading, I mentioned this in Sunday school, a book that I would strongly recommend called Bruchko. It's a very, very fascinating book about a, a teenage boy that gets saved out of Lutheranism. And he gets saved in Minneapolis by just reading the Bible. And I was curious to know about this because I grew up in the Minneapolis area. He's a Lutheran boy and he comes to Jesus and he gets saved. Wow, God just changes his life and, and the freedom that comes from trusting Christ and the, 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 the joy that comes from trusting Christ is just overwhelming. He went to try to explain it to his parents and they didn't understand. And uh, they didn't really appreciate his new found faith. And then he went to some of his teenage friends in his church and they didn't understand. And then his pastor, he didn't understand. Well, he gets saved and he pretty much is scorned by his family and by his church. And then God calls him to go to, to, to preach the gospel to some people in Venezuela, some Indians high up in the mountains. And, and he goes there and, and he lives amongst them and he preaches the gospel to them. And uh, these these are called the Motalone people, high up in the mountains of Venezuela. They're Indians, and they were cannibals, and or, or supposedly they weren't, but that's what the rumor was. And and uh, and they would kill some of the oil workers that would come in for oil. And and uh, they he he went there, and at great hazard in his own life, and at great expense, and at great cost, he goes and 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 he begins to give them the gospel. And one day he's walking down the road with some of the Motalone Indians. And there is a man who is standing next to a big hole in the ground. And he is shouting and crying down deep into this hole. And, uh, and they're walking in a path nearby and he hears this sound. And he, he says, what is this? And, and who is this? And, and the Motalone people that are with him, the men, they, they just ignore it. They pretend like it doesn't exist. And he says, no, wait, wait, stop. What, what, what is that sound? It, it's a despair. It's a, a crying out. What's that sound? And, and, uh, and he said, we've got to find it. They, somebody might be in trouble. So they go through the bush and they find uh, this man standing at the hole and he's crying out, God, come up out of the pit. God, come up out of the pit. And he looks up in, high up in the trees and there's another Motalone Indian and he's way up in the trees. And he's looking out at the horizon and he's crying out, God, come to us from the horizon. We've lost God. And he knew right then he had footing upon which he could preach the gospel. Why? Because these people were in despair. They were in despair. They had no hope. They were burying their dead generation after generation and putting them in the ground. And they had no hope that they'd ever see them again. That's what it's like to sorrow as those who have no hope. And some of you used to sorrow as those who have no hope. And you never would ever, ever wish that upon anyone. And you see those in your family who sorrow as those who have no hope. And you long with every bit of fiber in your being to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the gospel brings hope. If you're here today and you're not saved, where will you be when you die? You'll be straight in hell. Where will your loved ones be when they die? They'll be in hell if they haven't trusted Christ. Where will be your friends and family be when they die? If they haven't trusted Christ, they'll be in hell. 
You say, preacher, that's an awful thing. Yes, it is. It's no hope. It's despair. It's sorrowing as those who have no hope. And he says, when it comes to the coming of Christ, despair is not an option. We sorrow. We shed our tears. We wipe our eyes. We grieve. But we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Number one, uh, ignorance is not an option. Number two, despair is not an option. Number three, I want you to understand indifference is not an option. As a born-again child of God, you and I cannot approach the coming of Jesus Christ and do like a lot of people in this world do. Hmm. Pastor, in all the years that I've been preaching, 26 years as an evangelist and, and longer just preaching, in all the years that I've been preaching, I've never seen indifference at a higher level. And young people, I want you to listen to me right now. Young people, listen to me with your eyes wide open. Do you know what creeps into your life right now? Sowing indifference. Much of it is right here. Because you've seen it all. You can flip through your reels and you can see every scenario and every experience. You don't have to go to the library to study much anymore. You can just Google it. And oh, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I've heard of that. I've been there. You know, one thing I taught my kids growing up and I'm teaching my kids as they're growing up is don't ever say to me when I'm teaching you something, oh yeah, yeah, I know. Oh, oh yeah, 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 I know this, dad. I say, you might know. You might have heard me explain it before, but you don't know. And even if you do know, you need to hear it again. Don't ever say to your dad, oh yeah, yeah, dad, I know. Why? Because that smacks of indifference. It smacks of pride and arrogance that says, I know it all. I've been there. And when it comes to the coming of Jesus Christ, indifference is not an option. Apathy is at an all-time high. Indifference is at an all-time high. Jesus said when it comes to the coming of Jesus Christ, that the love of many shall wax cold. How can that be? How can that be when we know so much as a culture and as cultures around the world? How can it be that we love less? That our love has grown cold is because we've been there. We've done that. I've got a t-shirt to prove it. No, 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 no. As we know the Lord Jesus Christ and as we seek the Lord Jesus Christ, our love needs to run warm and hot. And those who love the Lord, you see, knowledge doesn't bring about a heart that is warm. Wisdom brings about a heart that is warm. Knowledge fills the head. Knowledge puffs up. And young people, you might have been there and you might have seen it on TV or on your phone or or on the computer, but that doesn't mean you have wisdom and it doesn't mean you have a warm heart. When it comes to the coming of Jesus Christ, indifference is not an option. And indifference is not an option this week. I want to say that this week ought to be something that is the highest priority in our lives. We ought to be going to everybody that we know in our neighborhood and our community and on our social media feeds and telling them the biggest thing that's going on in D.C. is right here in Alexandria at the corner of Wilton and Franconia. That's what's going on. And the word of God is being preached, not because the preacher is anything important, but the message is very important. And we need now more than ever to have a heart that is hot for God and hot for the 
things of God and a desire to follow God and live for God. And if we've done wrong, a deep shame and a hot passion to get things right with the Lord and our heart clean before the Lord. Why? Because Jesus Christ is coming. Jesus Christ is coming. If, if, if you knew that somebody important was coming to your house, wouldn't you clean up your room? You'd think. Now, teenagers, I don't even understand. <laughs> it's like when it comes to cleaning rooms, they, that's just not huge and high on their radar. I'm, I'm not saying that to degrade you, young people. I'm just saying that as a fact. It's just not high on their radar. And mom and dad say, hey, clean up your room. And they go in and they look at it and they say, what's wrong with it? <laughs> And there's clothes everywhere and food from last night or last week. And, and it's all everywhere. And, and, and what do you mean? What's wrong? What do you mean? Why are you asking that question? You get in there and clean that room up. You've got exactly five minutes. And you know why parents say stuff like that? It's because they've been saying it for the last 10 weeks. And they've been hoping that there'll be some kind of action. And, and, uh, and, and you know, teenagers just don't see exactly. And, and let me just say, I have boys. Boy teenagers especially don't see clean the way mom and dad see clean. But boy, if I told them that their friends were coming over, oh man, we got to get over there. We got to clean it up. If I told them somebody important was coming over, man, we got to get it cleaned up. If I told them they, 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 they're going to have a visit from their coach or their teacher or somebody important in their life that's influencing, I got to get in there and I got to clean it up. Uh, or I tell them, hey, yeah, I took them back to your room. You did what? <laughs> All of a sudden, clean matters. All of a sudden, clean is important. Watch, if you knew that Jesus Christ was coming today, would you clean up? Yeah, you wouldn't be indifferent. No, indifference is not an option. First Corinthians chapter, or excuse me, first John chapter two tells us that we are to, knowing that the Lord is coming, we need to be ready so that we will not be ashamed before him at his coming. All right, so watch. What is not an option? Ignorance is not an option. What is not an option? Uh, 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 despair is not an option. What is not an option? Indifference is not an option. All right, let's look at our text and decide what is an option. Look at it. First Thessalonians chapter number 4. Notice our text, verse number thir- verse 14. It says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, What's an option when it comes to the coming of Christ? Number one, faith is an option. Do we believe that Jesus died and rose again? Oh, do we believe that Jesus died and rose again? Yes. Yes, amen. And if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, then you believe that Jesus is coming again. You see, faith that will cause you to believe that Jesus died and rose again in the past causes you to look ahead and say, he's coming again in the future. And and faith is an option. If you're not saved, faith is your only option. That's the only thing you should be thinking about right now. What do I need to do to believe on Jesus? I spoke about this in Sunday school, and, and I spoke about Bruce Olson, who went, and he was called Bruchko. He went to these Motolone Indians high in the Venezuelan mountains, right on the border of Colombia, and, and hazarded his life to do so. They They would build villages that would be twice as high and twice as big as this auditorium. And they would bend the trees over and tie them together and they would make a great big huge village hut. And they would sometimes have hammocks tied up in the village hut that would be, they would have 200 hammocks and families living, 200 people in that village. This is fascinating. 
And, and when he explained the gospel to one Baba Shakora, they called him Bobby. He was a, a young man that really attached himself closely to him and helped him. He, he explained that in order to be saved, you've got to tie your hammock up into Jesus. You can't have one foot in the hammock and one foot on the ground. You've got to tie your hammock up into Jesus. And that's what salvation is. It's simple faith. That's what Jesus wants you to do. If you've never been saved today, he wants you to tie your hammock up into him. He wants you to believe on him. He doesn't want you to have one foot on the ground and one foot in the hammock, one foot in Jesus and one foot on culture or religion or tradition or ritual. He wants you to have all of you tied up into him. And that's what salvation is. Will you tie your hammock up into Jesus today? Will you believe on him today? I don't know why you wouldn't. That's your only option if you're not saved. But if you are saved, faith is your option. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, what's he saying? He's saying, well, then you believe that Jesus is coming again. Look at verse number 14. He says, verse 14, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Watch this now. Remember, he's told you we're sorrowing, but not as others which have no hope. Watch, hope is an option. What's not an option? Ignorance, despair, indifference. What is an option? Faith. What is an option? Hope. That means we, we expect that Jesus is coming. We are looking forward to his coming. The Bible word hope, when it's used in the phrase referring to Christ, uh, to the blessed hope, is used to describe a woman that is pregnant, that is expecting a baby. Now, my wife has had five babies, and uh, when you, the woman gets to that seventh and eighth month, ooh, especially if it's in the summer, ooh, it's just something. And, and when she's waddling around and everything is totally changing and, and her hormones are on, on high alert and sometimes running absent and sometimes in full force, uh, when she's waddling around at the seventh, eighth month, she's not saying, I hope it's a baby. <laughs> She's not saying it like we use the word hope. We use the word hope kind of like a wishful thinking. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't happen. No, 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 no. It is absolutely going to happen. It's just a matter of time. Now, I don't know about you, but these last two and a half years, I've been more excited about Jesus coming than I've ever been in my life. To see the way the world has believed a worldwide deception to see the way the world has been swayed and manipulated at every twist and turn to see the things that have happened uh, time after time and to see the way politicians always lie but politicians have especially been good at lying in recent months and recent years and to see the way the world just believes it says boy when antichrist comes they're gonna they're gonna fall for his lies they're gonna believe his lies you know what that means Jesus is standing at the door. He is just about to come back. I'm super excited about that. Watch 1 Thessalonians 4, verse number 14. Faith is an option. Hope is an option. He says, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, that means those that have died trusting Christ, will God bring with him? God is going to bring them with him when he, 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 he steps out into the clouds. Verse number 15, for this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord. What's an option when it comes to the coming of Christ? Certainty. Certainty doesn't come from the word of man. It comes from the word of the Lord. 
Certainty comes from thus saith the Lord. Do you know the Bible says over 840 times that thus saith the Lord? So either God said it or he didn't. And if he didn't, the Bible's not a good book. If he didn't, the Bible's a pack of lies. If he didn't say it, thus saith the Lord. If the Lord didn't say it, then you can't trust any of it. But he did say it. And he said it over and over. There are outside proofs. There are inside proofs, external and internal. There are proofs over and over and over again that God's word is true. It's certain. Thus saith the Lord. He says, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. This isn't something Paul thought up. This isn't something Darby thought up. This isn't something Schofield thought up. This is something that the word of God says. Someone says, well, do you believe in a pre-trib, pre-millennial uh, uh, rapture? Yes, absolutely I do. Why? Because Schofield taught it or Darby taught it? No, because the Bible teaches it. And Paul taught it way back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He says in verse number 15, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. You say, preacher, you sound dogmatic. I am. <laughs> I'm not ashamed of being dogmatic. I'm not ashamed of being dogmatic where the Bible is. He says, shall, shall, shall. We shall be caught up together. We shall not prevent them which are asleep. We shall see the Lord. We shall rise first. Wow, this is awesome. What does it tell me? When it comes to the coming of Christ, what is an option is certainty. The certainty of God's words. All right? When it comes to the coming of Christ, knowledge is an option. Well, what's happening? If ignorance is not an option, then knowledge is an option. Look at verse 16. For this is what the Bible says, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And you say, preacher, what's he going to shout? Probably what's said in Revelation chapter number 3 and 4. Come up hither! That's probably what he's going to say. That's what I'm listening for. I'm not worried about what's going on in, in, in the world so much. Now, you've got to keep your eye a little bit to the ground. But you want to know the two best things I did last year? The two best things I did last year was I got off Twitter and I turned off the news. The best thing I ever did. It's mostly a bunch of baloney. Do you know how you know when a politician or somebody in the media is lying? When they open their mouth. And I'll tell you, one of the best things you could do is just turn it off. Turn it off. It's not going to help you spiritually. It's not going to make you more informed. It may make you more informed about what's not going on. It's not going to draw you closer to Christ. It's going to make you mad and angry. And a lot of times I'd watch the news and I'd get mad at everybody. And I'd come home and yell at my wife and scream at the kids and kick the dog and be mad at everybody. That's usually what happened when I watched the news. So I turned it off. It was the best thing I ever did. I don't need knowledge about that. I need knowledge about the truth. So I gave you several passages to look up today. That's where you need to go. What do we need to know? That the Lord himself should descend from heaven with a shout. Remember, he's just coming in the clouds with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. So I'm listening for the shout of the Lord Jesus, the Lord himself. He's not sending an angel to get me. He's coming himself. Now there's going to be the archangel and he's going to be shouting. Maybe he'll say, yeah, come up hither. <laughs> I don't know exactly what he's going to shout, but I'm listening for both of it. And then there's the trump of God. Now, my Peter plays the trumpet. Is there anybody here that plays the trumpet? Ah, oh, got a good trumpet player. 
You know, when they practice violin, Timothy practices violin, that, that can be its own test and trial. But you know, at a point, they get the rosin all on and they get the bows in tune, the, the strings in tune, that, that just turns out to be wonderful. The trumpet, my, my Andrew's playing the piano and playing the accordion. I love the accordion. It's the one, most wonderful thing in the world, the accordion. But, uh, but, but, but when my Peter plays the trumpet, oh, man, you can't focus. And you think you can't focus because you're in the basement? Well, I live in a trailer. <laughs> I just have to go out into the wild blue yonder to regain my focus when the trumpet's been played. Now watch, that trumpet's going to sound. And those of us that are saved are going to hear it. And we're going to hear the voice of the Lord and the voice of the archangel. Don't, you, you need to know that. What's an option? Well, faith is, hope is, certainty is, knowledge is. Look at verse 17. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Joy is an option. Now, we shouldn't be walk, walking around miserable, looking like we've been sucking on sour lemons all our life. Uh, we shouldn't be walking around like we've been dragging our chin on the asphalt all day long. We shouldn't walk around like, like, like Igor with the hunchback of Notre Dame. No, no, no. We should be walking around with our square sh- shoulders and with our head held high and with joy in our soul and a smile on our face. Now, now you, you, you need to do that. Uh, now is the time more than ever when this world needs to see joy. Joy, joy. Now more than ever is when we need to see, see things happen and, and, and make things happen. And how do you do that? With joy. Do you know what will open up a lot of doors to witness? A smile. It really will. A kind word. It'll open up a lot of doors. If you're walking around like you've been watching CNN all day, well, who wants to listen to whatever you have? I don't want it. I don't want it. And, and when I'm walking around looking like that, then I'm not expecting anybody to want what I have. But when I think Jesus is coming and he could come today and his, com- his coming could change the whole, it, it's going to change everything when he comes and we're going up with him. I mean, it's a free ride, a free ride. Somebody was just telling me about uh, working for the airlines and getting some free tickets. I said, that's awesome. But you've got a free ticket already reserved the moment you got saved because you're going to go up. I'm going to go up and we're going to go up. You know how long it's going to take? One sixtieth of a second, one one sixtieth of a second. Faster than, the, faster than you can blink your eye. Faster than you can snap your finger. Faster than you can get money out of an ATM. <laughs> it, I'm talking about fast. It's, it's as fast as the light glistening off your eye. That's the twinkling of an eye. And that's what's going to happen. Jesus is going to appear in the clouds. He's going to say, come up hither. We're all going to hear it. We're going to hear the voice of the archangel. Yeah, come up hither. And the trump of God. And boom, we're going to be in the presence of the Lord. No more aches and pains. No more sorrow. No more bills. No more taxes. Oh, wow. Somebody say amen right there. I mean, it's going to be a wonderful day. This is joy. What is an option when it comes to the coming of Christ? Joy. We ought to be the most joy-filled people, not just because of our salvation and what has happened in the past and what Jesus did while he was here the first time, but because of what's coming in the future. We ought to be filled with joy. All right, look at the last verse. Wherefore? Comfort one another with these words. 
When you come to church, I want to encourage you to come to comfort. Say that with me, would you? Come to comfort. Would you say it again? Come to comfort. Come to church to comfort somebody. To lift them up. To encourage them. To, to see their heavy load and to lift their heavy load. And when you come to church, if you'll come to comfort someone, you'll make a huge difference. If you'll see a tear and have a hanky close by, ready to wipe a tear, you'll be a blessing. I, I don't know about you, but I want to be a blessing, not a burden. When I come into the room, I want people to smile, not smile when I leave. <laughs> and and I, I, want, I want to be the kind of person that lifts a load. And the Bible says we should comfort one another with these words. What words? That Jesus Christ is coming, that he's going to appear in the clouds, that he's going to shout, come up hither, that we're going to hear the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Wow, I'm looking for that day. I, I'm looking for that day. And you know, the early church would greet each other and bid each other farewell with these words. He has come. He has risen. He is risen indeed, would come the answer. You know what I say the church of the 21st century ought to be doing right now? We ought to be saying, He is coming. He is coming indeed. Our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. We're closer to his second coming than we are to his first coming. We ought to be speaking about it regularly. We ought to be talking about it regularly. We ought to be singing about it regularly. We ought to be shouting about it regularly. I was preaching in Minneapolis recently, and a man came to me from another church, and he sat under the preaching on prophecy night, and he said, you know, he said, our preacher went to a local seminary, and they told him, don't preach on the coming of Christ. Don't preach on prophecy. Now, I'd say that seminary is a waste of space on the block. And anybody that teaches that should be ashamed of themselves. And why would you not teach about that? And why would you not teach about it right now? Pastor, I can tell you how preachers can, can, can get people to come and listen, preach on prophecy. Talk about what the Bible says about prophecy. Why? Because people are interested in it and they want to know it and they're curious about it. So watch, Jesus is coming. He is coming indeed. You know what I need to use that? For primarily as a tool to comfort my brothers and a tool to get as many lost people that I can to Jesus. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, thank you for showing us today what should happen when it comes to Christ's coming. Lord, help us to reject ignorance and despair and help us to reject indifference. Lord, I pray that we would embrace faith and believe your words and hope and certainty and joy, and, and, and Lord, the promise of your word and comfort for others. I pray, Lord Jesus, you'd help us with this. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I wonder if you'd say, Brother Dwight, I know I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. I'm certain of that. But you'd say, Preacher, I needed this because I've been so discouraged with all that's been going on lately. I needed a simple reminder that Jesus is coming, and it may be today. If that's you, would you slip up your hand right now? Praise the Lord. Oh, I tell you, what an exciting thing to think that Jesus could come and he could come today and he will come. It's just a matter of time. I wonder if you'd say, Brother Smith, God's spoken to my heart this morning about my indifference, about just a coldness in my heart. Instead of having a warm heart and a heart that's hot for the Lord, my heart has grown cold. Would you pray for me? I don't want indifference and apathy to rule my life and my heart spiritually. Would you pray that I'd let the Lord replace that with a warm heart? If that's you, would you slip up your hand? Good, good. Praise the Lord. Is there anybody here that'd say, Brother Smith, I'm burdened for someone that I know that needs Jesus and I want them to get saved before Jesus comes. Would you pray that I would be an effective witness for them? If that's you, would you slip up your hand? 
Okay, wonderful. Praise the Lord. Two more questions. Who today would say, Brother Dwight, if Jesus came today, I'd go to be with him. I'm not hoping or thinking or wishing. I know that I'd go to be with him. Now, if you don't know that, don't raise your hand. But if you do, would you slip your hand up high? Yes, I know that if Jesus came today, I'd go to be with him. Thank you. You may put your hands down. I wonder if you're here and you say, Brother Dwight, I don't know that. If Jesus came today, I don't know that I'd go to be with him. But I sure want to. Would you pray for me? If that's you, I'm watching and pastor's watching, no one else. Would you just slip up your hand right now? Is there anybody like that in the building? Preacher, pray for me, please. I don't know if Jesus came today that I'd go to be with him, but I really want to know. Anyone at all? I'll wait just a moment. Anyone at all? All right, let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I'm going to ask the pianist to come to play it just right now. Just